Welcome to Stories from 400 Feet, the podcast that gives you the inside story on what is happening in the drone industry, from the everyday to the not-so-everyday events that define this industry and push it forward. If a drone flies, we'll be there. Hi, I'm Danielle Gagne, Chief Storyteller for Volatis Aerospace, and today I'm joined by Ali Dion. CEO of Aravel. It's great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Daniel, and thank you for the invitation. I've been looking forward to have a a discussion and a chat with you. Before we get too far into the conversation, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your experience? Again, my name is Ali Dian, and I've been with Aravel for now 18 months, maybe even longer. And even in advance of that, I've been working with Dr. Tad McGear, on some ideas about the company and promoting it worldwide. In advance of that, I was a vice president at the Sierra Nevada Corporation with a lot of focus on ISR and serving the security organization in the United States, Army, Navy, Air Force, and SOCOM, and also a lot of 5i countries and worldwide. In advance of that, I was uh, very involved in UAV for nearly 10, 12 years. I was with SNC just about eight years before joining Aerovel. For about 12, 13 years, I spent a lot of time in the UAVs when it was a, a, a novel idea at the time with a lot of focus on a flight control system. We joined a company named Athena Technologies that was a flight control uh, designer and producer and manufacturer for many of the UAVs in U.S. and uh, around the world. And after that, we were acquired by Rockwell Collins, and I spent four years with Rockwell Collins. Lots of fun at Athena Technology, lots of fun at Rockwell, and a lot of good times in Sierra Nevada. And we're just going to take this fun environment now to Aeroville and move it forward. It's really exciting, and you have such an extensive career in this industry. It's an honor to have you on the show. At a high level, can you go over the defense and commercial applications that the FlexRoder has been designed for? Sure. The flex rotor, as I think you noted on a previous discussion, is an invention of Dr. Tad McGeer. Tad comes to this industry with nearly 40 years of experience in autonomy. From his undergrad days in Princeton to his graduate and PhDs in Stanford, he was the founder or visionary person who came up with the group to UAVs. And that started with Aeroson, and then later on, he founded the company named Insitu that many of you know, with the product named Scan Eagle, and that was the, the second invention. And then, as he did those two programs in 20th century, his 21st century company named Aerovel with the product named Flexroder, which combines all the goods of those previous invention, Aeroson, Scan Eagle, and and so on and minimizes all the handicaps and shortcomings that they had. And primarily that goes to takeoff and landing. They needed other apparatus to help them to launch or apparatus to recover them. This aircraft as a tail sitter, which has all the capability of those platforms and much more, takes off in a four meter by four meter area, does fly, it depends on um, circumstances of the altitude, payload, and so on, something between 12 to 30 hours, and lands on a four meter by four meter area. 
and that includes landing on rough surfaces. It's very, very well designed for takeoff and landing on moving platforms, including ships. So the product is profoundly revolutionary. It's a ratio of payload to its weight, which is often less than 55 pounds or 25 kilogram. The flight usually is about 48 to 51 pounds with a fully loaded payload and a fuel excess of 14, 16 hours in, and so on. And we don't carry really no other apparatus or devices to assist us for takeoff and landing. And those who are in uh, UAV business, they know that a lot of fixed wing uh, aircrafts been supplemented by a jumper uh, solution to take off and land uh, vertically. Uh, therefore, a, a significant amount of weight has been utilized to do that, but we don't have any of that. We put enormous amount of focus, contrary to some of the other solutions out there, on a simplicity and autonomy. It's, it's a completely autonomous. Basically, you command it to go and you command it to land, and that's it. So it's a lot of focus on the end user, particularly when Tad developed this product, he was very focused on the simplicity of the operation for soldiers, for the Army, Navy, special operations, and being able to be a very, very effective product. As well as a commercial, we have had enormous interest on fishery, fire detection, drug interdictions, border security, preserving wildlife in some uh, areas from illegal hunting and so on. Although it's a limited market, but our product is excellent for that, as well as monitoring the grids, mo monitoring pipeline, mo monitoring railroads. So those are commercial applications that has been flexible that has received a lot of attention. Those two capabilities, the ability to quickly take off um, vertically and then fly for that length of time has been the holy grail. Yeah. So I'm really yeah. excited to talk with you more about, right. about this. When a drone is designed to meet the demands for the Department of Defense, what goes into that? What are the expectations from the defense and government side when you start to think about that from designing that drone from the ground up? Tad and our scientists, engineers, and technicians from very inception they had a lot of input from actual users that use group two and group three UAVs. The focus has been to provide the warriors, the soldiers and operators ability to launch and receive information expeditiously and with enormous amount of simplicity and minimum training. So for lack of better word, before anybody went to the drawing board, there was a lot of focus on how can we get our soldier the right solution, right time, and without all the complexity of the systems that is out. So that was the focus of the team. And I think for most part, we have succeeded to deliver a product as such. As I said, a one person alone can get these things up and running in less than 20 minutes. It, I, it would be ideal is two people so they can do it a, a bit faster. It would be in the air and receiving data in less than 30 minutes. And aircraft can fly as high as 18,000 feet and um, cover a, a lot of area. 
with reasonable speed, reasonable endurance. And I think uh, it brings the clarity to the conops and to the dynamic battle environment that no other UAVs been capable to do that. And a speed of launching and a speed of providing solution, especially as we look at the, the dynamic of the war right now going on in Ukraine, the battlefield changes daily. The area that it is occupied by invaders, the next day is being freed and areas that has been freed, they change hand almost daily. So you gotta be able to provide ISR capabilities that serves that dynamic environment. And I think what the flex radar offers is precisely that. Absolutely. And just to continue on that conversation about Ukraine and how that invasion is evolving daily, knowing we're working to put the flex rotor in the hands of Ukrainian soldiers, what can it do for them, especially in terms of intelligence, surveillance, target acquisition and reconnaissance? Yeah. Well, it can do all the three uh, that you noted very effectively. And the way the radio system and communication system is structured and designed, it's very resistant to jamming, which is happening here very frequently for all these small drones. They're very vulnerable to that. We, again, going back to being the aircraft, a very mobile and a comprehensive ISR solution, it's going to provide 24-7 alert and awareness around the battlefield for the Ukrainian. They would basically eliminate the element of surprise and would enable them to gather the intelligence that they can take effective action toward them. The world has been amazed by the bravery of Ukrainian military and for that matter, Ukrainian civilian that now they're putting the green suits on. And this aircraft, as we provide fundamental training, and it doesn't take much for them to learn it and you go and start applying it would save life, would really put a constraint on the invaders, and I think would be a winning court in the hand of the Ukrainian military and would be a game changer. I really believe it would be a game changer. Absolutely. Having an eye in the sky to be able to see where the troops are moving, where they're heading, being able to understand what kind of military equipment they're bringing in and what they're planning on doing and be able to do that for a long period of time and not be detected and not be able to be jammed. Yeah. It's such a vital part of intelligence gathering for the Ukrainian military. You mentioned those smaller drones. How is the flex rotor different from those smaller drones they've been using up till now? Well, you know, we're using payloads that are military grade, high resolution, effective EOIR camera manufactured by good technologies, which the product is well-known around the world as, if not the best, among the best. Uh, most of our customers have a large platform, uh, including Scan Eagles, and uh, are very pleased with that. Compared to some of the smaller drone battery operated that they have a, a hour, two, three, four hours of endurance at best, and they have to fly low altitude, and they're very vulnerable to jamming. I'm not saying they're totally ineffective. They do serve some purpose, but many of them get lost in that operation. They do provide minimum information, but this is something that, as you said, eye in the sky. This is eye in the sky. 
you could fly from 18,000 feet to 5,000 feet, 4,000 feet, and or go down to 800 feet and get the focus, precise information and the information that you can pass on to the other element of the military for accurate location, targeting, and also combine those information through the ground station and other tools to develop a strategy going forward, basically extracting the right information or useful information from abundant of information. Very well said. There are some great commercial applications that you talked about early on. How can these capabilities that we've been talking about in in the defense sector be applied to applications that are being used today in the commercial sector? Well, the commercial sector utilization of the flex rotor is almost unlimited, and you can just let your imagination go. To give you an example, we worked with a a company um, in South America. They were in the tuna fishing business, and all these companies, they often use many manned helicopters and they have a lot of accident, a lot of death, and limited effectiveness. Just one group used the flex rotor, and they, you know, they have a limited number of days and a coda to do the, the fishing. And the, the one that used the flex rotor to gather the data information and location of the fish, they finished the, the coda almost three to four weeks in advance of the others. The amount of saving that they had, the amount of effective fishing that they had without harming the environment. Now, they, there's been a noticeable interest for pipeline security, both domestically and all around the world. The energy pipeline, the natural gas, oil, and the others is they always under constant threat in the way of theft and also sometimes sabotage. There are some places in part of the world that they want to use it to monitor effect of the environment or illegal hunting. We get a lot of inquiries. Now, that, that being said, there is a a limitation what can be done in the commercial because of the restrict requirements that exist in the commercial aerospace and it is good restriction that exists and i think the industry is starting to adjust coexistence of man and unmanned i know we've been talking about this now for 20 years but it's going to take time but once those protocols are established i think the the opportunity for flex rotor as well as perhaps others would be significant. I couldn't agree more. Those long linear inspections that you're talking about for pipelines, for electricity, for railroads, for transportation, they all require a more robust drone that can fly beyond visual line of sight. And drones are, are a lot more cost effective than sending a human being up in a helicopter. And as you said, helicopters are incredibly dangerous. Inherently very dangerous, yeah. It's a, it's a shaking machine. Yes. I was talking to a helicopter pilot, and, and they say it's somewhat of a miracle that this thing can fly. <laughs> I know, it is. Anytime I see them, I am puzzled how it is that stays in the air uh, as robust as it does. Yes, that's for sure. Again, I, I think we are in the beginning of um, a revolution in aviation by introduction of the drone. But the drones has been around now for quite a few years, and you can buy them in almost any stores and so on. But the product such as FlexRoder that has been built around several well-defined applications, it serves those markets and those requirements extremely well. Now, there are a lot of adjacent applications that flex rotor or perhaps a variation of the flex rotor may be smaller, maybe bigger, maybe a little bit louder, in some cases a little bit less loud in some, somehow electric motor versus uh, combustion engine. They all make sense. 
But those markets need to develop gradually. And we are very well prepared to address them. That, you know, one of the key elements that perhaps I should have mentioned in the beginning, the flex road is structured in a very modular sense. Therefore, adaptability to customize it to a unique need of a customers or a unique needs of application and CONOP is, is amazing. And we can adjust that relatively fast. And that's a, a unique capability that uh, FlexRoader has, and we're very, very proud of. Yeah, that's constantly becoming something that people are looking for. They're starting to become more savvy about it. It's not just flying anymore. It's about, does this have the capability to do the thing that I need it to do? And I know that X, Y, and Z can happen with this aircraft. So I always get excited when I hear that somebody has an aircraft that's modular and can be adaptable because that's such an important part in the industry. It is is pivotal, yes. And I would say that more for a military and a security uh, market than even for a commercial because a commercial, uh, in many sense, has a limited resources as far as the funding. The military has more resources in such, but the requirement need to be addressed 100%, not 80%. Right. And, and that's what we are focused. When we talk to our military in U.S., mm-hmm. in Canada, in other 5i countries and other allies and NATO members, we listen. We listen. And once we finish listening, we listen again and we go back to them with what they ask for and how to use. We, we don't try to educate them to adapt to what we have. In most cases, we listen and deliver. And we think in flex rotor, that's why we call it flex rotor. It's not because only the rotor is flexible to address the needs of our security apparatus in Canada, in Five Eyes, in NATO, in our allies, and so it's build as such. And that's so vital. In many cases, there are a lot of aircraft that are out there that are bespoke. They're only built upon order. And so being able to provide that and provide it quickly is such a vital thing for defense. To conclude our conversation, I usually ask the same two questions. And the first question is, are there any misconceptions or myths that you'd like to dispel about this industry? Uh, Well, uh, there is this misunderstanding, perhaps it existed in the beginning, that the products, it's okay to be lost, that there's no human impact involved. And they're not too expensive, like, you know, F-15 or F-35 or anything like that. I think, although that's accurate, and the industry started with a little bit of uh, carelessness in that respect. But as the industry is being mature and industry is getting to areas that the human population is and so on, we are at Aeroville are very focused to not only provide effective and useful product to the end user, we also like to focus on durability, quality, performance, maintenance, and the simplicity of addressing those in a way of operation. I think that it was a perception that industry as a whole has that as a second thought. And it might have been true in the in the beginning, but I think that's behind us to some degree, to a large degree. And particularly we in Aeroworld right. pride ourselves to be a leader in high quality product in a group two or group three UAVs. 
And you certainly have the pedigree and knowledge to make a really robust aircraft, especially with Scan Eagle as the, the jumping blocks for this particular aircraft that you've put together. It's been such an honor to have you on here. And my final question is, any last thoughts or comments you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I'm happy you asked that question because there's always more to say than his time allows. You, you noted a few things and it, it tells me that you are a subject matter expert in some cases, maybe even better than I am. It's the trend in the industry or trend in our military or the defense industry that companies wait to get the requirement from the government, RFI, RFP, PDR, and so on. And they wait for the funding from the taxpayers or the, the, the military to make a right product for our soldiers. There is a few companies who basically have had the philosophy of we build it, they come. You know, one of the successful ones is General Atomic. I really take my hat off. They don't wait for the requirement. They build it and based on listening to the environment, listening to the customer. And we basically are going to follow that footsteps. Aeroville is committed to listen to the customer, gauge the environment, look at the market and build the product so that the user would come to it. And in this process, we have a good team of people at Aero. Fun group of people, extremely knowledgeable from our technicians, engineers, scientists, and so on. They are exciting group of people. They love what they do. They have fun doing it. And we like to have fun doing it. I always tell people I had fun at Rockwell Column. I had fun at SNC. We're going to continue having fun and take care of our customers and our users. So I, I like to invite everybody to come and visit us in Benjamin, Washington. We are only one hour away from uh, Portland Airport. Fun, beautiful environment. We would be more than happy to fly the aircraft for anybody who wants there because we're flying once or twice a week. And you will enjoy hanging out with the team. There's a large focus group that they only focusing on three things, customers, best technology, and best quality. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. It was an honor to be a participant in your podcast and best of luck. Thank you. That's this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us again for our next story from 400 feet. Until then, fly safe.